The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church slash Young Adults. Yeah, so I'm David Fuller. I'm one of the prayer... I'm a deacon here at the North Campus. serve in that way. And uh, I'm a prayer deacon, so... Together with my wife Jenny and then Lori Walmsley, we have we have responsibility for like the prayer team that stands up front after the services and prays for people. We we do some other stuff, but that's kind of like the main thing you might you might sort of be aware of. We do seminars and uh, we're we're helping to lead a Sunday school class right now. We call it the prayer lab. Been at the church about fifteen years, always at the North Campus. I know a lot of you guys. You guys have been around and I've worked with you in different ways, so I'm glad to be able to share about prayer ministry. So I was told that the theme, you guys have kind of a theme for all of your speakers this year, Joy in God Through Loving Others. Is that right? So that's kind of my subtitle here. So I, I just decided to sort of do this, break it down in, into two parts, all right? Joy in God. I'm just going to talk briefly about personal prayer, and then loving others, I'm going to talk about what we call prayer ministry, and I'll help you understand a little more about what I mean by that. And then I said number three, it kind of circles back to joy in God, because I have to say, I've seriously experienced over my lifetime, multiple times, I've just kind of had this moment where I recognize, like, literally the biggest pleasure that I get in life is those moments where I actually have a sense that God is working, maybe even in and through me. It's very humbling, and it really brings meaning to life in a, in a really different way. And so loving others in an effective way, to me, just stokes that joy of God. And so that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it, I guess. And of course, this is a huge topic, right? Loving others. There's so many ways to love others. Prayer ministry is obviously just one way. And you know, we're kind of just going to drill down and talk about one aspect of prayer ministry when we get there. Let me just pray. I thank you for the opportunity to be together, and I thank you for each and every one who is here. I pray that you would bless us all, that you would help us and help me to say things that are glorifying to you and that are good and right and true. And if I do say anything that's not, I pray that it would fall to the floor and be forgotten and not cause any kind of confusion or harm. In Jesus' name, amen. Personal prayer. Personal prayer is like when Jesus said, when you pray, he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, go in your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And then Jesus himself, you know, by his example, we see him repeatedly again and again, going, going, withdrawing to desolate places to pray. So there's kind of this core of our relationship with God, our intimacy with the Father, that is personal and private, and it kind of always will be, it always kind of has to be, you know, you don't have to necessarily be in a particular place, but maybe you're praying throughout the day, maybe you're praying little momentary prayers, really good book that talks about that is A Praying Life by a guy named Paul Miller, one of my favorite books on prayer, so I commend it to everyone. There's a lot of aspects of personal prayer, um, we could talk about that for a long, long time. One thing is persistence. To just press in. And Jesus commended that to us, told them a parable at one point about a persistent widow, and, and it says, 
to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And some translations say, never give up. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Right? Okay, and this, I don't want this to seem like a law. I mean, it's like, it is a command, but it's, it's not supposed to be a burden, right? It's not supposed to be, you know, this impossible thing. Um, it's an invitation. We can get creative, you know, in how we, how we interact with God throughout the day. And that's one of the things that I like about that book that I just mentioned, our praying life. Examples of persistent prayer that we can see, are just a couple that come to mind. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? This is before he's going to be arrested and tortured and killed. And he's in agony and he's sweating blood. And he goes and he begs and pleads with his father. And not just once, but he keeps doing it, right? So he's even in that moment, he's persisting. You know, persistence is something you think of as over time, right? Pray again and again for weeks and months and maybe even years for something. But even that little example, two times. And Paul then says, when he talks about his thorn in the flesh, I, I, I ask God three times to take it away. And I, and I don't know what that means. I wonder. I wonder if it means, like, maybe he had three extended seasons of pleading with the Father. But, you know, it, it didn't happen. Sometimes it does happen. Sometimes it Sometimes God will say yes to our prayers over time, but after a while, He doesn't say yes right away for whatever reason. You know, He has His reason. You know, you think about it. God really wants a relationship with us, but He made us, and so maybe sometimes that's His main reason for not saying yes right away. And I'm just thinking, you know, relatedly, Jesus said we are supposed to have a childlike faith, and in fact, it's required to enter the kingdom of heaven to be like a child. You know, kids are very straightforward. Uh, they just say what they want. They're very simple. And that's, I think, part of what Jesus might have meant about that. Come weary. That's just an encouragement to be willing to just recognize your own brokenness. You know, come to God with your needs, with your actual hurts and disappointments. And it's okay to not not be perfect. You know, I think it's not about performance. You know, we're not putting on a show. It's really important that we are real with God in our personal prayer lives. You know, one thing that often happens when people talk about this, it happens to me, is suddenly, like, guilt and shame rise up because I'm not a very good prayer, and I don't have a very consistent, quiet time. And, you know, I made this New Year's resolution, and I'm not keeping it. And I just want to encourage all of us, including myself, to just really read this stuff. And to focus on the positive, and again, really the relationship with God, he is inviting all of us to a deeper relationship with him. We want to really feel and see and know our own desperate state, which is real. We really need him. And the more we see that, the more real that is, the more we're going to go to him. The more we will pray without ceasing. But that's different from finger-wagging and saying, you know, you're bad because you're not praying enough. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I think those thoughts often are from the enemy. Romans 8, 1 says, there's, not, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's all of us, and that relates to this topic. Uh, personal prayer. Desperation is good, but despair is bad. Conviction, which leads us to action and you know encourages us to make changes, and God gives us power to, to correct course correct, that's good. Conviction, but condemnation is bad. So, we'll move on to talk about prayer ministry, but let me just pause to pray over all of us about this.
personal prayer. I'd just like to do that kind of as an introduction before we even talk about prayer ministry. God, help us to really find our joy in you through prayer, through more praying. And um, I pray that you would help us to be free in that and to feel the warm invitation that you have for us in it. I pray that our prayer lives, each one of us, would uh, come alive in new ways and deeper and richer ways. So would you breathe into our prayer lives and, um, and meet with us in the secret place, in our closets or wherever we choose to interact with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can think of them like, like concentric circles, right? The, the core of our individual personal relationship with God, and that's our personal prayer life that we just talked about. Then, moving out, there's ministry. There's loving others. And prayer ministry is kind of like what the people on our prayer team do. They, they stand there and they're willing and ready and available to pray with and for people who come up and, and just want to pray about this or that. And it's kind of simple at one level. So, what is prayer ministry? Well, prayer, of course, is really just communication with God, communion uh, with Him. Ministry, generally, is helping and blessing people. So it's kind of like this is the combination of those two things. Where two or three are gathered in my name, said Jesus, there am I among them. So we have these opportunities when we're together to experience the presence of the Lord in a special way. So maybe it's a good moment for prayer ministry. Here's another concept that's kind of related, like when we're together as believers, like in this setting, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul talks a lot in this section of 1 Corinthians about just this diversity of giftings and uh, different members of the body, um, but how we all kind of like work together. I just love the encouragement to sort of press in, engage with each other, participate in the life of the body of Christ, to share what we've been given. So, for example, maybe we get a particular encouragement in our personal prayer life, and then that encourages us to encourage others. And we have more to give away because we're receiving more uh, from God. There's different aspects of prayer. There's different settings for prayer. There's different ways to approach prayer ministry. But one of the things that we like to talk about in our little ministry area, the prayer deacon, Dan Holst, we work very closely with Pastor Dan, is um, kingdom theology and so, like, think of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray this to us, right? And, and part of it is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's not entirely obvious what this is about, right? Because we know God is totally sovereign, and in one sense, his will is always being done. Everything that is happening is God's will. And yet, Jesus said, send your kingdom, do your will here as it is in heaven. So, there's a lot of different ways to think about this. We, we kind of look around other parts of Scripture to, to sort of unpack this a bit. We have this concept that we refer to as the three P's, okay? So we, we can seek praying. We can seek God's kingdom presence, peace, and power. You know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we're seeking for God's perfect will, his ultimate will, to be done here and now more as it will be later. So 
there's this concept that theologians and Bible scholars talk about, you know, the already but the not yet. And maybe you've heard about this. You know, we live in this age, the church age, ever since the resurrection and ever since Pentecost, where we're kind of in an in-between season. We're waiting for the second coming. We're waiting for the, the future arrival of the, the perfect kingdom. But there is an amazing thing and a whole package of things that have already happened, and we get many, many benefits now. So we're kind of in this tension, this time of the conflict of kingdoms, too, where there's still basically a spiritual battle constantly going on. And so in this context, we're asking for more of God's kingdom. We're asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done more, including his peace, his presence, and his power. And so just a few sort of scriptures on this. God's presence is all over scripture, you know. At the, at the end, at the beginning, Adam and Eve were walking with him. At the end, we'll be with him. We'll see him face to face. And, you know, he says repeatedly this phrase, I will be with you, right? In, in uh, the Old Testament, um, I listed some of them here. Jesus says that to the disciples, and he says he'll be with you, you know, that I, I will send my spirit to be with you. So that's presence. Peace, the peace that passes understanding, is a profound supernatural peace that we can experience as believers. Philippians 4. And then power. There's many examples of, of this, and it, it has a lot of different manifestations, and it means different things, but you know, Paul says in Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. James, chapter 5, the end of the book, basically, he says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Interesting um, comment here in Luke. It says, and the power of the Lord is with him to heal. And that is Jesus. So when Jesus was walking the earth, he was fully man. Of course, the incarnation is a mystery. Fully God, of course, but also fully man. And in some sense, when he was doing healing, he was doing it in the power of the Lord. The power of the Lord was with him. Um, and so, when we think about God's kingdom power, like I said, it accomplishes things. It, it means things. It, it means a lot of different things, and it has a lot of different forms and outworkings. It, you know, God's power is what grants us faith in the first place, but it can also give us faith in the moment for certain things. God's power heals, restores, convicts, strengthens, encourages, and uh, much more. So we, we want to pray expectantly uh, with the notion that God actually moves and does things in response to our prayers. We can't always predict exactly what's going to happen, but sometimes we can see results. God has ordained prayer as a principal means, like one of the one of the tools that he uses to work sovereignly in the world. All that brings us to a definition of prayer ministry that I'll propose here, and it's just that 
Prayer ministry seeks to bring the presence, peace, and power of God to bear in the lives of people by praying for them in real time. And what we mean by real time is just basically the habit of praying on the spot. Like, instead of saying, oh, you just shared a hard thing with me, I'll pray for you. And then, like, making a promise. The encouragement, the idea is, maybe we should just pray right there. Pray right now. May I, can I pray for you right now? Is it okay? Do you have a couple of minutes? I will say, one of the benefits that I found for praying right now, praying on the spot, can you guess? It just gets back to that guilt and shame thing. You don't forget. You've done it. You've actually prayed. And and that's not to say that you shouldn't pray later. You can pray a lot for that person. You pray without ceasing as, as God brings it to mind later. You can write it down. You can you know, pray regularly. I'm not in any way discouraging that, but there, I think, is also a benefit to, um, you know, kind of just do it now. So that's prayer ministry, okay? Prayer ministry is a broad category, and there's all kinds of things that we can pray for when we pray for one another, pray for others when we're with them, praying on the spot. But one of the things we can pray for is healing. So I just thought we'd spend the rest of our time just talking about that a bit. We uh, actually... In this class that we've been teaching, uh, the Sunday school class called the Prayer Lab during the 11 a.m. service, we're going to continue that class in the spring. But for the fall, our focus has been healing, uh, basically like learning to pray for healing. So that's one of the reasons that comes to mind. I'll start off by just putting aside up here five, what I call five basic principles, and you can look at that if you want. Um, there's scriptures cited for the different points here. God can heal. Probably all of us. Believe that God loves to heal. We'll talk about a few of the scriptures supporting that in a minute. We should generally ask for healing. Uh, that's kind of a little bit of a controversial suggestion that I like to propose. Um, I think there's a good basis for it. That's kind of a long conversation that I'd be happy to have sometime. We, we just talked about this this last Sunday in prayer lab. Sometimes God doesn't heal. Sometimes we'll ask Him for something and just won't do it. And it's, of course, up to him. The results are always up to God. But sometimes he does. This way of understanding healing and prayer for healing is there's, there's, there's teachers, Bible scholars around who have come up with this understanding. I mean, in a way, it sounds really simple, but it's also, there's a lot of different ideas about how to approach this. The, the approach that we follow is uh, there's a guy named Sam Storms, and I really like this book. It's it's called the uh, the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. And so Sam Storms has been on the the board of Bethlehem College and Seminary, as well as Desiring God. He's you know well known to John Piper, and also um, one of Bethlehem's pastors for for many years. He's a guy named Tom Steller. And he used to be the dean of the Bethlehem College and Seminary. And he wrote a really helpful article. Uh, it's called A Theology of Sickness and Healing. And I have copies of it that I'll, I'll set um, on this table here for anyone who wants you know, to kind of get a, some clarity on this. I think it's really helpful, a way of unpacking the scripture on it. Wayne Grudem is another resource that I look to for, for this. One of the things that we can... I think it's really important to keep in mind when we're thinking about this topic is, you know, who is God? What is God like? Well, God is a healer. 
he revealed himself. He's revealed himself repeatedly that way. In the Old Testament, we see Isaiah 53, you know, with his stripes, we are healed. Psalm 103, he, he heals all your diseases, it says. And, of course, when we get to the New Testament, the incarnation, the, the, the fullest reflection of God and who the Father is, it's the Son, right? Uh, Jesus showed us God, and Jesus said in his mission statement, sort of his inaugural sermon that he preached, um, that he said, the Father has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It's really quoting from Isaiah, and if you look at that passage in Isaiah, it also says, bind up the brokenhearted, comfort all who mourn. And so I'm thinking of healing broadly, God as healer. Why does God do this? Lots of reasons, but one that's pretty consistent theme when you look at Jesus' ministry, especially, is mercy and compassion. Jesus was deeply moved by Lazarus' death. And then we see this when Paul's talking about Epaphroditus. God had mercy on him. This was spared him. Healing of some sort that happened in him. That's what he's talking about. Mercy, compassion. So Jesus himself was known as a healer. He had this powerful healing ministry. He also sent out his disciples. And he said, Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. So it's remarkable, you know, during his earthly life, he actually sent out his followers to do that. That was the 12, right? It's kind of remarkable. We don't necessarily think about this all that much, but there was a moment where he sent out like 72 other people to do the same stuff and kind of gave them the same instructions, and then they returned reporting power. And that's a very interesting passage. It sort of seems like it was a mini little micro um, preview of the church. There's questions about this, but it sort of feels to me like well, if that's something that they did and were able to do then, maybe how much more could we potentially do after the resurrection, after the the cross, and after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit has been poured out and, and is in us, Jesus said that the Father wants to give good gifts to his children. The Father's heart is to bless his children. And he often uses the body of Christ in doing this. And so the basic principle here is that Jesus continues his earthly ministry today through the body of Christ. So what is divine healing? What, what are we talking about here? It's... Um, it's an aspect of salvation and freedom. It's something that God sometimes does. And it's a spiritual gift. So there's just some aspects of, of this. Um, and again, broad terms. So salvation, I'm thinking of salvation as past, present, and future. We're justified, but then we're also being saved. We're, we're experiencing ongoing sanctification. And then we will experience glorification. So it's kind of tied into that mission statement of, of what Jesus is all about. And he was quoting from Isaiah. So, number one, it's an aspect of salvation and freedom. Um, thinking, like I said, about healing not only physical ailments, but emotional healing. You can have spiritual healing. 
um, mental illness, um, struggles like depression, anxiety. Counseling can play a huge role in this, you know. Biblical encouragements, just, you know, um, any one of us um, loving each other in all kinds of ways, but prayer ministry and including praying for healing can be, can be part of that. So a lot of times, you know, this is related to sanctification. Um, we experience struggles, feeling stuck, um, just kind of the residue of living in a fallen world. And uh, just a project of kind of putting off the old man, which is a community effort. So, an aspect of salvation and freedom. Divine healing is also that something that God sometimes does. You know, again, I, just getting back to this the theology of the already and the not yet. You know, all believers, if you think about it, all of us will be fully healed someday. So we have a sure promise. We have an absolute promise. But sometimes we also get a portrait. Um, and again, that's something that Tom Steller focuses on a lot in his article. Sometimes we don't get that foretaste for whatever reason, but it's generally good to ask. That's my proposal. And I take that especially for, from James 5, uh, 16. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to get discouraged because like we might ask and then the answer seems to be no or like no answer. Like what's going on here? And I've experienced that a lot, but I've also experienced the yes every once in a while. One the one guy that I've looked to sometimes is John Wimber, who had a real powerful healing ministry. And one of the things that he said is that I would rather pray for a hundred people and one of them gets healed than pray for nobody and nobody gets healed. So the, the idea there is like, well, at least try. You know, what have you got to lose? So the third point of what is divine healing is that it's a spiritual gift. And I just want to talk about this a little bit. And again, this book is very, very helpful in unpacking a, a, a healthy understanding of these spiritual gifts. There's many spiritual gifts, but there's one list in particular that they, they, they can sometimes be more controversial or more questionable. People don't, some people don't think that they're for today. But yeah, this list at 1 Corinthians 12 includes gifts of healings, uh, along with other, all kinds of other what you might call miraculous types of gifts. Paul, uh, just a couple chapters later, says, you know, he commands us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And something that maybe a, a lot of us aren't aware of, but Bethlehem, for a long time, has been what we call a continuationist church. And that, I don't know if that's something that's familiar to you guys, but it's, it's basically the doctrine that all the gifts in that list are potentially still available and active today. And I won't get into too much detail on this, you know, I'm hoping we'll have some time for questions at the end. But the elder affirmation of faith at Bethlehem makes this clear. We'll look at that in a minute. I also share the understanding of the teachers that I mentioned that those gifts are what I call situational, where it's not necessarily that someone has a gift like, oh, you're a healer or you're a prophet, but that any one of those gifts can, can be available to any one of us at any time. It's up to God. He can pour it out. He can cause it to become active. Especially when we're gathered together, God can dispense these gifts or withhold them at any time. Again, the affirmation of faith, section 8.2, it just mentions the, the unprecedented mission of the Spirit to glorify the crucified and risen Christ, including by manifesting himself in spiritual gifts, being sovereignly free to dispense as he wills all the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, 8-10. 
So that's just a reference to that list that I, that I put up earlier. It includes healing. So just one quick quote from the article, Tom Stiller article that I mentioned. Healing is both easy and hard to define. At one level, it simply means getting better or recovering from a problem, which can be physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. It can happen quickly or slowly, here and now, or in the next life. Sometimes it is God's will to heal us in this life, but sometimes he chooses not to heal now. We may pray for healing with real expectation, but we ought not to demand it as if it were our life. So I'll just end with a couple of final thoughts on this topic. Again, talking about praying for healing in the context of prayer ministry, in the larger context of prayer, and loving each other. Three reasons to pray for healing. God commands it, okay? He commands us to pursue spiritual gifts. He commands us to pray for one another that we may be healed. Not a rule, not a law, like we actually have to do it every single time we're together, but in general, we should be pursuing that. Uh, number two is just that propose that seeing our ongoing need for help and healing is actually a humble way to be. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus came not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. I, I think in some ways, even though I'm saved, I'm still sick, I'm still recovering. And then finally, I just say that I suppose that it's actually honest. This is related to the childlike faith, okay? Just be real with God. And if you think about it, like if we don't want to disobey God, right? We're, we're all trying to live lives according to God's will. When we're sick, do we just sort of sit down and do nothing about it? Or do we take pills like uh, painkillers or go see the doctor to try to get better? I think that we don't believe that we're acting outside God's will when we do that. And so, to me, it makes a lot of sense to also ask God for the same thing that we're asking the doctor for. And then as, as we do this, you know, we want to avoid ditches. We certainly want to avoid the prosperity gospel, as if we have a right to healing, being presumptuous or demanding, name it, claim it. That's not who we are. That's not the culture we want in any way. But I also just submit that we should avoid the passivity gospel, where we just always say, well, it, it, it automatically must be God's will if, if, uh, if I'm sick, in a way that means you know we shouldn't ask for a change. That can sometimes mean we're like forgetting or denying God's goodness and compassion. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. There's a tension here. There's a mystery in all of this. But my encouragement is to try it and step out and pray for healing. So that's, um, that's my talk. Welcome questions. Um, invite you all to consider joining us at Draw Near, which is a once a month gathering, the third Friday of every month. It's just a couple of hours of worship music and praying along these lines. You know, praying with and for one another. Let me just pray for us and then we can see if there's any questions. But I thank you for your word and I thank you for all of the encouragements in your word. I thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us in and through your word. And I thank you for pouring out your spirit on the church in this age that we live in. We are privileged to be able to participate in pray that each one of us, Lord, would be encouraged and would, maybe even in just one little thing that I said, um, by focusing on your word, um, maybe something would click and something um, would uh, increase in a good way. 
So please be with us. Thank you and I praise you for this night and for this opportunity to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church/youngadults.